You're listening to Amazing Discoveries Audio. This is Prophetic Prototype, Episode 3, with Eric Walsh. All right, we're going to get into our message for this Sunday morning. This session I'll be setting up for the next session, which is the session where I give my testimony. And so let's get right into this. Matthew chapter 11, starting at verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, and if you will receive it, this is Elias, which was for to come. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. A message this Sunday morning is entitled, Perfected in Persecution perfected in persecution. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to share your word. Lord, once again I ask that you make me just a nail upon the wall, Lord, a rusty, sorry nail. Upon that nail, Lord, again I ask that you hang a portrait of Jesus Christ. Let me not be seen or heard. Instead, Father, let us hear a word from the throne room of grace. This is our prayer in Jesus' precious and holy name. Lord, I ask that you bind the enemy this morning, to pour out your Holy Ghost with extra power. And Father God, as we deal with these sensitive and timely issues, the Lord God, the word would be clear and plain for those of, uh, that are preparing for your soon return. With our prayer in Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 14, verse 3, for Herod had laid hold on John, and bound him. The last time we saw John, John, was, John had just baptized Jesus, and we went into a talk about um, the fact that all three persons of the Godhead were there. The Father said, this is my beloved Son, in whom, am I, in whom I am well pleased. The Holy Spirit descended like a dove. And of course, Jesus, the Son of, Son of God, came up out of the water. All three aspects of the Trinity were there. All three aspects of the Godhead were there. And so after that, trouble comes. On the one hand, the Bible says that the Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. So he goes into the wilderness of temptation, 40 days of fasting, and then has a showdown with Satan at the end of that time. John the Baptist, on the other hand, because he has been preaching the straight truth and has called out sin, as we're going to see, he winds up in deep trouble with the political power of his time. So the Bible says Herod had laid hold on John and bound him and put him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife. For John said unto him, it is not lawful for thee to have her. So John gets in trouble because he says, listen, your marriage is not supposed to have been. It is a wrong thing that you married your brother's wife. He says it's not lawful for you to have her. Now, what's interesting, and Professor Weitz kind of uh, inferred to this yesterday, What's interesting is, it says here in verse 5, and when he would have put him to death, that is Herod, would have put John the Baptist to death, he feared the multitude because they counted him as a prophet. At the time John is arrested, Herod's opinion of John is that he should die. The Bible makes that clear. In fact, some who argue against the Bible say the Bible contradicts itself on this point. But we will clarify it, and it's interesting because, again, it was referred to yesterday. He was going to be put to death. 
and but 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 Herod at the time feared the multitude. See, Herod's job was to make sure a peace remained between the Roman power and the Jewish people. The Jews were by now notorious rebels, going all the way back to the Maccabees at the time. And so the job, what they were really trying to do, was hold everything in check. Are you getting this? So Herod's job really was to be a buffer and just to make sure nothing crazy happened, no rebellions were going to happen. That was his job. So when he wanted to put John the Baptist, he said, yeah, not such a good idea. I can't stand this guy for calling out my sin, but if I put him to death, I might have problems because if they rise up against me, Rome's not going to like it. So he couldn't do it. So what happens? Well, so they throw John the Baptist into a place called Maceras, the Black Fortress. Here is an artist's rendition, 3D cutout of what it would have looked like. It was a serious fortress, part palace, part prison, part palace, part dungeon. Herod Antipas, he stops on his way to, as he's marching against his former father-in-law, King Aretas. So because of the divorce, things get heated in the family. His former father-in-law is upset. There's some, some territorial arguments that are happening. Herod is marching to fight. And when he does, he stops here where John the Baptist is being held. So Herod divorced his wife, Phasaelus, who's Aretas' uh, relative here, after he met Herodias, his half-brother, Philip's wife. So he went to visit his brother. You'd imagine it was like Thanksgiving dinner or something. <laughs> and when he sees his, sees his brother's wife, he can't control himself. He loses his mind. The 10th commandment goes out the window. Thou shalt not covet thy brother's wife. It says neighbor, but in this case, it's his brother. Right? They fell in lust. And she divorced Herod's half-brother Philip, and the two of them were married. This sent a shockwave. This was like TMZ news all over Israel into the Roman Empire that this divorce and remarriage had happened. Everyone was shook up and John the Baptist begins to preach this is not right. You know how dangerous that was to speak against the sitting king and his new bride? But John the Baptist is more concerned with pointing Israel in the direction of right than he is with his own safety. And so he preaches it. Now, something happens. Herod gets here. Herod will probably stand way up high in the nice part up here. Uh, 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 John the Baptist is probably way down in the bottom in the dungeon, way down in here. But something happens. Mark 6, we referred to again yesterday, 19 says, Therefore Herodias had a quarrel against him and would have killed him, but she could not. Look at this. So the, 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 the new queen, quote-unquote, Wanted John the Baptist dead. But something changed about John the Baptist's relationship with Herod. Verse 20 says, For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man and holy, and observed him, and when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. So some people say, look, the Bible contradicts itself. How could he fear him and respect him here? And here, he wants him put to death. But that's because the slide in between tells you everything. It says that there was an opportunity for Herod to get to know John the Baptist. Just as referred to yesterday, I believe either Herod went down to the dungeon or had John the Baptist brought up. I also believe he probably hid this interact, these interactions from Herodias because she would have probably beat him up because it seems like she was the one running the show at that house. And so he probably hid and snuck and went and talked to John the Baptist. And when he got a chance to talk to John the Baptist for himself, Herod found that this was a just man, a right man, 
a loving man, a kind man. And when he did, he began to like him. And it says he observed him, meaning he studied John to see if there was any hypocrisy in him, if he would ever utter a curse or a swear word in his predicament in the dungeon. And he noticed that John the Baptist was a, was a model inmate. That he recited the scriptures and sang the hymns. He noticed that this was a good man. And when he heard him, he did many things. He started to change his life and heard him gladly. And as we found out, one of the princes, we talked about this yesterday, one of the princes actually ends up later on becoming a Christian, probably because of this interaction. Something happened. Let me tell you something. Even when we are going through persecution, we must remember, like John the Baptist, that it is our job to still be a light. We'll talk about that more at the testimony this afternoon, but that's critical. Desire of Ages, page 214, the life of John had been one of active labor, and the gloom and inaction of his prison life weighed heavily upon him. As week after week passed, bringing no change, despondency and doubt crept over him. His disciples did not forsake him. So his disciples kept coming around. They were allowed access to the prison. That tells you somebody liked him, because who would, why would you let the prisoner still see, see his disciples? They were allowed access to the prison, and they brought him tidings of the works of Jesus and told how the people were flocking to him. Here's what his disciples asked. But they questioned why, if this new teacher was the Messiah, he did nothing to affect John's release. How could he permit his faithful herald to be deprived of liberty and perhaps of life? His disciples began to question, wait a minute, if Jesus is really the Messiah, why won't he liberate and free John the Baptist from out of prison? Something just doesn't seem right, they say. She continues, these questions were not without effect. Doubts which otherwise would never have arisen were suggested to John. Look at this for some of what you are going through in your personal life. Satan rejoiced to hear the words of these disciples and to see how they bruised the, souls of the soul of the Lord's messenger. Look at this. Oh, how often those who think themselves the friends of a good man and who are eager to show their fidelity to him prove to be his most dangerous enemies. How often, instead of strengthening his faith, their words depress and dishearten, like Job. When you are going through trial, especially for your faith, because you've stood up for God, when you are in ministry and you're trying to do God's work, remember that sometimes, even when your friends come and they are trying to give you words of encouragement, be careful because sometimes that's who the devil uses to bring you down. Matthew eleven two. 2. Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Are you, are thou he that should come, or do we look for another? This is the same John that when he met Jesus at the Jordan said, Listen, I can't baptize you. You should baptize me. This is the same John that heard God's voice from heaven say, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Watch this, church. In persecution, he begins to doubt. John begins to question, is this the right guy? Based on what his friends are telling him, like, his friends are going like, if this Jesus is who he says he is, he, this guy can do miracles. Why doesn't he just free you? But it was based on the fact that they had a wrong idea of who Jesus is or the purpose of his messiahship. They thought that Jesus came so that he could violently overthrow the Roman power, reestablish the throne of David, and that he would rule from there, and that Israel would be restored to its former glory under David and Solomon. That's what they were expecting Jesus to do. But were they ever so wrong? Here's what's crazy. 
in Christendom today, especially on the evangelical side, there are people who believe the exact same thing. In fact, much of America's foreign policy around Israel it seems to look like it's being shaped by the ideology that Israel must exist because the temple must be rebuilt so that Jesus can come sit in it. And as I heard Tony Evans, a pastor out of Dallas, Texas, preach one time, so that Jesus can sit on the throne in the temple in Jerusalem and that he would rule the world for a thousand years and by force make everyone keep the commandments. If you don't understand the character of God, you will not want to be a Christian. Or if you are one and you don't understand his character, it'll mess you up. In fact, John, because he didn't understand Jesus' purpose, he said, look, do we look for another? When the disciples said this to Jesus, Jesus answered the son to them, I, before I say anything, Jesus is such a wise, he's wise. Man, Jesus is wise. He says, look, go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. I'm not going to give you an answer. I want you to just observe. And let me tell you something. If you're someone who doubts who Jesus is, read the Bible, read the Gospels, and I want you to stop. I want you to hear and see what Jesus does. Because when you do, this is what you'll find. Verse 5, the blind receive their sight. The lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. He says, listen, if you want to know who I am, watch what I do. And as Jesus begins to work the miracles and minister to the people all around him, as he begins to do that, he, it, the, the, John's disciples are amazed. They see things they've never seen, experience things they've never experienced. Their minds are blown at the power of this man. Then Jesus shoots a word back to John. Verse 6, And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. The word for offended there is the Greek word skandaliste. Skandaliste. That's it written out. And I like how and it's actually translated or means to fall away. You can also be, it can also mean to, 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 to find offense or to be offended, but it means to fall away or to stumble. Jesus says, listen, blessed is he whosoever shall not fall away from me. Fall away from me when? When you're being persecuted. When you're going through trial and difficulty, blessed are you that when you are in the middle of your difficult time, you don't fall away from God. There's a blessing in staying faithful to God even when everything in your life has gone helter-skelter, when it's all gone crazy. There's a blessing in staying close to God at those times. Ellen White says it like this, the Savior's words, blessed is he whoever shall not find, shall find none occasion of stumbling in me, were a gentle reproof to John. You see that? It was not lost upon him, not lost upon John. Understanding more clearly now the nature of Christ's mission, look at what happens to John. He yielded himself to, the, to God for life or for death as should best serve the interest of the cause he loved. That's from the Desire of Ages, page 218. When, when John the Baptist hears what Jesus is doing and gets the word, blessed is he who is not offended in me, John the Baptist who was already a mighty man of God, his character develops even further. Are you getting this? In the prison and in the dungeon, 
John grows spiritually in a way he could never have grown if he was still out in the wilderness by the river. God allows prison experiences in our lives. He allows difficulties in our lives so that the word can come to you that says, do not stumble now. Because then you start to realize my faith isn't what I said it was. I'm not as much a Christian as I thought I was. I want to give you my testimony this afternoon. It's one of the things I focus on. When challenge and trial comes, sometimes that is when we are at our weakest. But tell me, if you can be strong during that time, it is a sign between you and God. I tell you that right now, if you can be strong during that time, it will cause you to get to where John got to. John stopped worrying about being freed and said, listen, I'll do whatever it takes to forward the cause of the kingdom. John got to a point where he said, listen, if I die, it's fine. If I live, it's fine. Whatever does God's work or, or serves God's purpose best, that's what I'll do. Trial is sent to allow us to disconnect, to hit the eject button on the baggage that is holding us close to this earth, the things that tie us to this earth. Trial comes so that someone like me who loved football, after I went through the trial, I don't think I've sat and watched one football game since then. Not from beginning to end. Because all of a sudden, my worldview and my perspective changed. I started to realize as if the veil, like, like Elisha's servant, like the veil was ripped away. And I began to see what was important in my trial. And that's why... Trials are often sent to purify and to perfect our characters. Verse 21, and when a convenient day was come that Herod on his birthday made a supper to his lords, high captains and chief estates of Galilee. So he made a, a feast and when his daughter of the said Herodias, when the daughter of Herodias came in, she danced and it pleased Herod and them that sat with him, the king said unto the damsel, ask of me whatsoever thou wilt and I will give it to thee. She comes in, she dances. And as she dances, Salome dances, the king, after probably having a few shots or whatever and a few uh, Jewish lager bears, and whatever vodka they made back then, or whatever they drank, he was a little tipsy by this point, and so were the men around him. And when this young woman starts to dance, the fuses of the fuses in the frontal lobe of their brain that helped them to be reasonable and decent began to blow. And all of a sudden, he gets so crazy, he says, whatever you want, I'll give it to you. That was some dance or some girl or a combination of the two. That the king says, look, anything you want, you can have it. This is the danger, especially in the last days, of sexual sin. Because for it, a lot of times, we will literally say to the world or to a person, whatever you want, I'll give it to you. And as he swear unto her, whatsoever thou shalt ask of me, I will give to thee unto the half of my kingdom. He goes in front, look, I'll give you half the kingdom for that dance you just did. And she went forth and said unto her mother, which is where the conspiracy lies. The mother knew what she was doing the whole time. She probably waited till they had just enough alcohol in them, right? And alcohol is dangerous. It, it, it blocks a chemical in your brain called GABA. And when GABA is blocked in the brain, it disinhibits you. GABA is the chemical that causes you to behave sensibly. So my Jamaican grandmother would say a drunk man's tongue is a sober man's mind. 
When GABA blocks you, you now begin to behave not from the frontal lobe, but from the more, more lower base parts of your brain. You say things you would otherwise never say. Alcohol does that, so she probably waited to the point where he was just drunk enough. Then he sends her out when he is disinhibited. And now the lower passions take control of the king. And he's willing to give up half of his kingdom. The daughter says, look, what shall I ask? And she said, I want the head of John the Baptist. It was all a setup. I want his head. And she came in straightway with haste unto the king and asked, saying, I will thou give me, give me by and by in a charge of the head of John the Baptist. And the king was exceeding sorry, yet for his oath's sake and for their sakes, which sat with him, he would not reject her. The king was upset because by now, remember, by now he said he has a relationship with John the Baptist. He enjoys their fireside chats. He's been listening to him expound about the kingdom of God, about the coming Messiah. Herod by now likes John. And that's why Herodias had to pull his stunt. The king was exceeding sorry, but he had sworn an oath in front of his boys. He couldn't go back on it. Mark 6, 27, and immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought. And he went and beheaded him in the prison. Immediately they went downstairs. And when they got to John the Baptist, here's the difference. If he had come to John the Baptist before Jesus' word had come to John the Baptist, John the Baptist might have gone to his death anxious. But because Jesus had already given him the word, don't worry, don't fall away from me. When the executioner comes, I can imagine John the Baptist has peace. He lays down his life without any struggle or any fight. Just like the martyrs did during the Reformation. He was willing to lay down his life. He was probably singing hymns all the way till his head was separated from his body. And they brought his head on a charger. Gave it to the damsel. I can't imagine what she must have thought when she was looking at his head cut off. She probably really didn't want it because she probably ran straight to her mother with that charger. The mother was probably thrilled. Now what's interesting, and I'll say this and then we'll, we'll get a little deeper into this stuff. What's interesting is, in fact, this is really kind of the end for Herod. The familial war is what ultimately winds up getting him exiled and gets him into a whole lot of trouble. It never goes well for Herod after this. Later on, when Jesus is sent to him by Pilate, he wants nothing to do with it. The reason he wants nothing to do with it, probably more than the geopolitical reasons is, he had already done something like this. He wanted nothing to do with the death of another holy man. As a prophet, John was to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and he had disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord, in preparing the way for Christ's first advent, he was a representative of those who are to prepare a people for our Lord's second coming. In other words, what happened to John will happen to us. The purpose that John had is our purpose. I told you there are four realities. The first one of the cup of iniquity was full. I thought we talked about that. The gospel preached everywhere. We talked about that. Enemies will rise up from within and without the church. That's what we talked about two days ago. We talked about the fact that now people are saying the Holy Spirit um, isn't a separate person, even though the Bible clearly teaches that, and the spirit of prophecy teaches that. Um, people are saying, look, you can't trust those spirit of prophecy texts or, uh, because they are added later on, but that is, uh, you know, a theological um, whack-a-mole, right? I don't like what they said, whack that mole, boop. 
theological whack-a-mole. And so they're saying that, but we were just studying. I was studying with my dear brother there, and he, he showed me some stuff from the Catholic Encyclopedia in 1905, where literally the very arguments that they're making, that the Holy Spirit is not a separate person, but an extension of the Father, and the Son is just an extension from the Father, uh, and that they don't, are not separate persons. Those very arguments are outlined, that these people in our churches are teaching, are literally outlined in the Catholic Encyclopedia of 1905. So from within, now here are people preaching and teaching Catholic doctrine and telling us that what we believe as biblical and spirit of prophecy truth, that's actually a Catholic doctrine. That is wolf in sheep's clothing squared. But the fourth one, the fourth reality that, this, that we being an antitypical, like John the Baptist uh, situation, the fourth one is that the church goes through trial. That's the fourth one. If we're going to stand like John did and, and be as effective as John was, we must expect trial and tribulation. 2 Timothy 3.12 Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall do what? Suffer persecution. It is to be expected. 1 Peter 4, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice, inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. In fact, it's happening already to Christians around the world. And I'm not focusing on who's doing the persecuting or, or, or who's being persecuted. What I want to show you is that there are tactics being perfected. So here we go. This is taken from theguardian.com. Website, the Rongju Church in Guangzhou, southern China, was stormed by more than 60 police officers and government officials at around 10 a.m. local time on a Sabbath morning, Saturday morning. This, this is the third unregistered Protestant church to be closed down by the Chinese government. There's the president of China who has decided that he's going to sinicize China. Now, China allows churches. When I was in China, I, wanted a, I went to a very beautiful church service by a church that is actually um, a, a government-run church. A woman preached, and I sat through an Easter service there, and I said, well, this is very interesting. What was most interesting is that in China, the, outside, the whole church was packed. The outside of the church was packed. And going all the way down, the, around the corner, out into the streets, was full of people weeping and crying for the gospel. It was profound. So the Chinese government seems to have recognized that religion can affect things. So they've come. So... From the Guardian again, China's Communist Party is intensifying religious persecution as Christianity's popularity grows. A new state translation of the Bible will establish a correct understanding of the text. Tactic number one, change the word. Shut down the churches. By hook or by crook, shut down the churches where they're preaching things. One of the things that this pastor here is doing, he called the government on the carpet after the earthquake that happened when it, where, and he questioned the, the building um, codes or the, the, the quality of the buildings that collapsed and so many people died. And because he's standing up for regular everyday people, they came after him. But it's not just Christians. These are the, these are the, um, the uh, Muslims in, in, in Xinjiang. And these are the Uyghur Muslims. I won't say much about it, and I've talked to people from China, some Christians from China who said, you know, there's Muslims cause problems. Again, I'm not picking a side. I'm more dealing with the tactics that they use. And look at what they say. Well, China now, has they have banned Islamic texts, including the Quran. Muslim-sounding Muslim names are also outlawed. Beards and clothing 
that suggests adherence to the Islamic faith outlawed. China has made it mandatory for all of these Muslims to have their motorbikes and cars fitted with GPS tracking devices. Now here's where it gets deep. So they can always know where they are. If you're thinking that sounds like a making of a dystopian futuristic novel, then consider also the fact that the Chinese police in the province have been fitted with smart glasses which use facial recognition software to identify Uyghur Muslims on trains, buses, and in public places. They have glasses that they can wear that will recognize your face and say, you belong to this group. Just the tip of the iceberg, they say, because one of the craziest things that happen is they will send some of these Muslims into re-education camps so that they will be converted to the official ideology of the state, atheism. Now again, I don't, know, I don't know why there's beef between the two groups. I will only say this. The use of technology to recognize your face, GPS to track you, and the idea that they would send you to a, a re-education camp, all of these things are being tested and perfected even while we speak. Could these technologies and, and, and tactics be one day used against the people of God? But in the middle of all of this last year, the Vatican cut a deal with Beijing. As the Protestant churches are being shut down, the Vatican, and when I, I was in China when John Paul II died, I was there lecturing at universities, um, and, I, rem and I, was, I remember watching the, the news from my hotel room that night, and they spoke fiercely against the Vatican and the papacy, the, the communist government, calling them an imperialist and really bashing John Paul II and the, and the papacy in general. I was shocked to find that they cut a deal with him. And the deal is that he, they will recognize him as the head of the worldwide church, and he will allow them to choose bishops. Did the same thing in, in communist Vietnam. It's a different little arrangement. In Vietnam, I think they, they, the, the Vatican gives them, the, the Vietnamese government, three bishops, names for the bishop. In China, it says the Chinese government gives the Vatican the name. doesn't really matter. The bottom line is even in communist atheist countries, he has figured out a way to make sure he remains the head of the church. And they cut a deal there. Now, I don't have time to get into this one today, but this is a book called The Heavenly Man. I suggest you read it if you can. Um, by uh, Brother Yoon, a Christian brother, and it talks about the, the, the trials and the difficulties he went through in China. Imprisonment, beatings, separation from his family, his wife in prison, uh, the, forced into hard labor, the miracles that God works to bring him Bibles and to get him out of prison. Powerful book. But he says something in there that's relevant to my testimony this afternoon. He says that when he came to North America, he was actually in Canada, and someone from, Ca uh, from California wrote an article about him questioning all of the things he says in the books as if, uh, book as if to say he's a liar and that none of these miracles, none of this persecution absolutely happened. He says in the book, and you got to read it for yourself, he says what he went through in China, as terrible as it was, was not as fierce or as bad as the attacks on his reputation in North America. In other words, what he's saying is you, there's not just one way to be persecuted. He found that when they attack you on social media and in the media, as I'll show you this afternoon, when they come after you like that, that persecution can actually in many ways be worse because the emotional, psychological damage that can be done. We'll talk about that this afternoon. This is an interesting one. A Russian court has found Danish Jehovah's Witness guilty of organizing a banned extremist group and jailed him for six years in a case raising fears of a return to Soviet-era religious persecution. Armed police detained Dennis Christensen, a 46-year-old builder, May 2017, at a prayer meeting in Oriol, about 200 miles south of Moscow. Look at this. Following the banning of the local Jehovah's Witnesses by a court, 
a year earlier. Tactics, arrest you, ban you. Are you seeing the, the trend? These are all the different ways that they're going to try and shut down the truth. India, on May 23rd, India, and this is from the Voice of the Martyrs um, um, uh, webpage. Um, on May 23rd, India re-elected Prime Minister Narendra Modi, a staunch supporter of Hinduva, Hindutva, a pervasive Hindu nationalist ideology that calls for India to be completely, a completely Hindu nation. Modi said Christians and other non-Hindus have no place in India. Persecution of the church there. This is India. This is Egypt. Religious freedom under attack around the world. People are being attacked for what they believe. But I want you to understand what I'm saying. Watch the tactics. They're being perfected outside of North America. Because one day, they might be applied right here. So what about us? Well, in America, the First Amendment of um, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people to peaceably assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. This is the very first amendment. I believe the reason America is as strong as she has been is because she allowed for these freedoms right up front. Despite her faults in other ways, these freedoms allowed America to, to, to really jump ahead of the rest of the world in many ways. Powerful freedoms. But what are happening to those freedoms? Hurricane Hugo hit Texas a few years back. The president signed a national day of prayer for that Sunday. Signed it into law. Interesting. Well, this idea of the Sunday law is getting more popular. The National Catholic Register says, taking Sunday seriously, Poland leads the way. The European nation's new law sharply restricting Sunday shopping provides an opportunity to take a, take a closer look at American habits. It provides an opportunity to take a, look at a, a closer look at American habits, meaning what? That maybe what Poland has done in restricting what can happen on Sunday can happen in the United States of America. And there are, when you read, I wish I, I could, I should have screenshotted the comments of the people who are aggressively wanting to set up Sunday laws in the United States right now. Could it happen? Well, here's the makeup of the Supreme Court. Religious makeup of the Supreme Court. Share of the, share of the religions on the Supreme Court between 1789 and 2018, 7% Jewish, 11% Catholic. It was over 80% Protestant. Now, it is 55.6% Catholic, 33% Jewish, only 11% Protestant. And the one Protestant that the current president put on the Supreme Court was raised in Catholic, probably Jesuit schools. So if it ever came down to the Vatican saying, look, this is what needs to happen, the highest court in the union has a majority that would side, or at least on, on a, from a religious perspective, could, could easily side with the Vatican. That exists now. And why? We talked about this a little bit yesterday as well. Because there's a threat to the environment. Pope Francis, look, I urgently appeal for a new dialogue about how we are shaping the future of our planet. They show you a picture of a poor polar bear just drifting off all by himself. And you say, look, we got to do something. That poor polar bear, he's disconnected. <laughs> and they're going to say, look, this is what they say in L.A. You know, they have meatless Mondays in Los Angeles. They promote Meatless Monday, that everybody in L.A. should not eat meat on Monday because by doing that, we'll protect the environment. And so people are vegan on Monday. You know, I, I find that funny because they're being compassionate to animals. You so say you don't want to eat on Monday. I'm not sure the cow appreciates being slaughtered on Tuesday either, though. <laughs> <You know? laughs> if I was a company, I'd be like, you know, does it really matter if you don't eat me on Monday? You wait till Tuesday? 
And then, they, you know, and then the other thing is, if you're really trying to protect the environment, the cow still has to exist for you to kill him on Monday. It's the fact that he's alive in the first place. The same philosophy. Look, maybe if we shut everything down on Sunday, decrease our carbon emissions, and we better protect the government, protect the planet by doing this. This is one of the ways I believe that the left and the right would join around a Sunday law. Right? Because the environment has jumped to the top. In America, the, the environment jumps out. There are people in Congress in America saying we should stop flying planes. Like we should stop people from being able to fly a plane or drive a car that's not electric. It has jumped to the top. And you, you'll see in the Democratic debates coming up, this is what they're going to talk about the most. Great controversy, page 614, those who honor the law of God have been accused of bringing judgments upon the world, and they will be regarded as the cause of the fearful convulsions of nature and the strife and bloodshed among men that are filling the earth with woe. The power attending the last warning has enraged the wicked. Their anger is kindled against all who have received the message, and Satan will excite to still greater intensity the spirit of hatred and persecution. If you think there's hatred against those who believe the truth today, it will only get worse. But that persecution helps to purify the church. Revelation 7, 14 says, And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation. You see that? And have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. The process of going through tribulation will cause us to see things differently. I'll expound on this a bit more when I give my testimony this afternoon. To many minds, a deep mystery surrounds the fate of John the Baptist. They question why he should have been left at language and die in prison. The mystery of this dark providence, our human vision, cannot penetrate. But it can never shake our confidence in God when we remember that John was but a sharer in the sufferings of Christ. All who follow Christ will wear the crown of sacrifice. It will surely be misunderstood by selfish men and will be made a mark for the fierce assaults of Satan. It is, the, it is this principle of self-sacrifice that the, his kingdom is established to destroy. Watch this. And he will war against it wherever manifested. He will come against you if you're willing to sacrifice self, to put down pride, to serve God, desire of age page 223, out of a heart that says, listen, I don't need to be first. I don't need to be up front. I'm willing to serve God however he asks. I'm willing to lay down the things of this world. I'm willing to stop doing those things that cause me the great pleasure, but I know causes great harm to the God I love. If I'm willing to walk away from those things, Satan says I've got to get that person. God never leads his children otherwise than they would choose to be led if they could see the end from the beginning and discern the glory of the purpose which they are fulfilling as co-workers with him. Not Enoch, which was translated into heaven. Not Elijah, who ascended in a chariot of fire, was greater or more honored than John the Baptist, who perished alone in the dungeon. She says, unto you it is given on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Philippians 1.29, and of all the gifts that heaven can bestow upon men, fellowship with Christ in his sufferings is the most weighty trust and the highest honor. The church will be privileged to be persecuted. And if you don't see persecution as a privilege, you won't be purified. You'll be fighting it the whole time. And the work that God wants to do in your daily trials or in the great trials that come, the, the work that God wants to do in you will not happen. Because this is the great thing. 
the fellowship with Christ in his sufferings is the most weighty trust and the highest honor. Let me tell you, when I was going through my thing, I'll set it up now because I won't have as much time this afternoon. I was working as the director for the health department for the city of Pasadena, California. I was also the health officer, which gave me like legal, um, not power, but legal influence. I guess there's some power in it because I could shut down a restaurant, um, which I did. <laughs> it was overrun with roaches. Shut it down. Um, and so while working there, um, God allowed that some great things happen. A little background, you know, my, I was, uh, my mother was a single mother. My father left my mother when I was two years old, married my mother's second cousin. Sounds like um, Herod. Um, and so my mother raised three boys by herself. There are many people who thought for sure that a single black woman, my mother's Jamaican, my father's also Jamaican, but a single black woman in America trying to raise three boys would wind up raising three criminals, more than three professionals. My youngest brother's in law enforcement. I'm a physician. I have a doctorate in public health. My older brother's an architect. My mother did a very good job with the three of us. And the secret was she kept us at the feet of Jesus in her prayers and in our family worship. Right? There was a, there was a hedge put around us in that regard. I wanted to be a doctor since I was in the second grade when one of my friends, Tommy, the Irish kid in my class, leaned over to me and he said, listen, when we grow up, we should open a practice together. I said, That's a good idea. We'll be doctors. And ever since the second grade, I wanted to be a physician. And so there are a lot of things I didn't do because I wanted to be a physician. God blessed me. I went to Oakwood University, got into the University of Miami School of Medicine, went to Loma Linda to do one of my residencies, did another one in Alabama. Um, was able to have God lead me through that career path. Now, fast forward. I was working as the medical director for the prisons for one of the counties in California. I could do a whole series of sermons on what I saw working, running the jails, the jails, not the prisons, five jails in Orange County. Um, fascinating stuff, spiritual stuff. But while there, a job came available to be the director and health officer for the city of Pasadena. I never thought I'd get it. In fact, I was competing with people who graduated from Ivy League schools like Stanford and other places, and I'd gone to a small Adventist school called Oakwood University. But let me tell you something. If you put what you have in God's hands, he will bless you. And I got that job and was able to do a lot of good things. In fact, um, I won't get into all the stuff we did. We passed different ordinances, banning smoking in apartment buildings if the smoke drifted into somebody else's apartment. Because, you know, if someone in that apartment had asthma or COPD, the cigarette smoke from one apartment could actually affect the other person. Um, but we brought in about 8 to $9 million annually to increase services for people infected with HIV and suffering from AIDS. Um, I'd, done, I'd done work at the federal level with, uh, as an advisor to presidents on this issue. Um, and one of the reasons it was my passion is because a young man that was in church with me when I was growing up, died of HIV, and I thought it was horrible how it happened, what happened, some of the things he had to go through. I won't get into that, but it was one of the things that made me feel like I could be the hand of Christ if I worked to help these people with no agenda. You know, I wasn't trying to convert anybody or, or, or win anybody over or do anything, just being there to make sure they had services, mental health, medication, um, food pantries, transportation, housing, all these services we brought into a small city health department, expanded our services for poor people in Los Angeles County suffering with this disease. I was asked to speak for the mayor's prayer breakfast in May of 2012. And when I was done, I, I put together a message, 
they knew I was, a pa- I was pastoring at the time. I was the associate pastor at the Altadena Seventh-day Adventist Church. Uh, they knew I was a pastor. I was probably the first Adventist ever asked to speak for the mayor's prayer breakfast. As many of you know, Pasadena is a, one of our most, um, in my opinion, one of our most prestigious cities in the States. Um, host, host the Rose Bowl and the Rose Parade. Um, and so when it came time for me to speak there, I put together a message where I could show that I was a Christian, but I tried to also show, you know, some, some, some principles that would be good for our city. I got a standing ovation. There were senators, state senators, congressmen, all kinds of people, the heads of universities. Standing ovation. After that, I began to speak at all the first day churches in the area. I began to preach a lot around town and, and do messages. I was on the local channel a lot. And two years later, the city of Pasadena um, the, the, has their own uh, city college, a two-year college. And two years later, in 2014, I got a, my secretary got a call and was asked, we was, and was told, we want Dr. Walsh to give the commencement speech this year. Now, if you know anything about commencement speeches in the United States, they're very political. Um, and so I was asked to give the commencement speech. And so um, I didn't know what was going on behind the scenes. The president, when I did talk to him, did not give me details and rushed something into the newspaper announcing that I would now be the commencement speaker. What I didn't know was happening in the background is critical to what ends up happening. In the background, there was a, a very strong LGBTQ advocate who was originally asked to speak. And his offer to speak was rescinded. And he asked me to speak. Now, he didn't ask me my opinion. This guy had an Oscar, the Oscar-winning movie maker. He, he produced the movie Milk about Harvey Milk, who was unfortunately a, a, a city council member in San Francisco who was assassinated, unfortunately. Um, and he, was, he was a graduate of the school of Pasadena City College. So to me, if they had asked me, I said, you know what? Eh, I have no Oscar. Probably will never get an Oscar. Not actually surely won't ever get an Oscar. He should speak, and he went to that school, not me. What he didn't tell me is that earlier in that year, there was a big problem at the school. And the problem was that uh, uh, they had the, 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 the pornography class. Yes, they actually have a class on pornography. Um, and so the professor for the pornography class had been found sleeping with some of the students. Yeah, I know, not a big a shock. Some people get that, like, that that's not that big a jump. Whatever. I didn't go online to look up the details, but he was, he, and so they had this big scandal because the students were found to be sleeping with this professor. So when they asked this other gentleman to speak, there were some videos online that they, uh, they were said were with him with an underage boy. And so the scandal was about to explode again for the school. Now, I don't know if that was even true, you know, or the age of the young man, you know, I, I don't, I have no idea. Again, didn't go online to check on it. But all of this was happening behind the scenes. So he rescinded the offer to that guy and thrusted me into the limelight. What do you think happened? There's a group of students on the campus called Students for Social Justice. And those students decided, listen, <laughs> we got to shut this down. So they went online trying to find dirt on me. Now, I'm sure they probably thought they'd find some former drug charges, domestic violence. I'm sure they thought they'd find some real dirt. Instead, all they found were sermons. <laughs> dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of sermons. I tell you, 
in order to do what they did to me, they must have listened to literally 20, 25, 30 of my sermons. So on judgment day, somebody's going to be without an excuse. Because <laughs> they had to listen to a lot. And what they did is, in their activism, they took, now they didn't look at what I did. I'd just been praised by the city and by the, by the newspaper for setting up this dental clinic for poor individuals suffering from HIV. The only really government city run one probably in the country, but definitely in the state. You know, nobody looked at what I did. Nobody cared what I did. At this point, I was public enemy number one. And they started going in and taking bits and pieces of things out of context. And they put them in a magazine, LGBTQ magazine called Out Magazine, and they blasted me in that magazine. The city manager gets word of it. It starts to spread. The next day, the Los Angeles Times puts out an article against me. And the article says, Dr. Walsh has no right to hold a scientific position. And the editor who wrote it says there are two reasons he should never hold a scientific position. The first one is, he believes God created the world. He said because he believes in creation, he should not be allowed to, if he's so scientifically foolish as to believe that God created the world, we should not allow him to hold a scientific office. I have a master's, a doctorate, two doctoral degrees, and not, but I'm stupid because I believe God created the world. In fact, she brings in an expert, and the expert says, listen, if Dr. Walsh does not want to believe in the theory of evolution, he might as well not believe in the theory of gravity. <laughs> I took physics. I took physics twice, as an undergraduate and as a graduate student, two times. I can tell you that gravity is not a theory. I can take an apple and throw it up in the air, and it will come back down at 9.82 meters per second squared. I can tell by the wind factor how far, and, and the amount of friction in, 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 in the air how fast it's going to hit the ground. It is not a theory. It is a what? A law. An absolute law, the theory of gravity, right? So here's what's interesting. He's trying to clown on me for not... Yet he doesn't even understand the difference between a theory and a law. But the reason they don't want you believing that God created the world is because if they can remove your belief in the first two chapters of Genesis in the Bible, then why would you believe in John chapter 3 and verse 16? If God didn't create you, how can he redeem you or remake you, right? So the second thing, they said the other reason we don't like him is because in his sermon, he said that he does not want his children to wish upon a star. He wants them to pray to the living God. They said he hates Disney. Because Disney says, when you wish upon a star, it makes no difference who you are. When you wish upon a star, what happens? They say your dreams come true. Well, I don't believe that. You can wish on stars all day and all night. As far as I'm concerned, nothing's going to happen. That's witchcraft to me. So they were upset about that and about me talking about the spiritual, dark spiritual connotations of Disney movies. Go back, I mean, if you, if you still watch Disney, go, go and watch the, the Princess and the Frog. I mean, I, I could list off a whole bunch of them. It is, it, is, it is promoting the religion of witchcraft. So they beat me bad on that. Because there's a royal family in, in London, England, in Buckingham Palace. There's one in Orange County in Disneyland. Mickey and Minnie, and they even have a castle of their own. 
You don't talk about the royal family of Southern California. I got beat up over it. Let me tell you something, and I'll stop now, but this afternoon we'll take it up from here. What happened was immediately they began to call for my job. Articles began to be written. The Los Angeles Times, I'll show you some of this media stuff tonight, they, they, this afternoon. They began to um, attack me for weeks in a row, two, three weeks straight. The smaller newspaper than the LA Times, the Pasadena Star News had me on the front page. They began to lie about me. The Catholic League sent, wrote into the newspaper and said that Dr. Walsh should lose his job. All of a sudden, the attacks came fierce and furious, and my support systems all began to walk away from me. Like John the Baptist in the dungeon, I was left all alone. But the name of this sermon is Perfected in Persecution. John the Baptist, because of what he went through, actually grew spiritually. This is a man who was full of the Holy Ghost in his mother's womb. This is a man who the Bible says he waxed strong in the spirit as he grew. He was constantly growing in the spirit. And yet, when John the Baptist was faced with trial and with tribulation, even John the Baptist doubted who Jesus was. Trial comes because sometimes we don't realize that we think we've got it all together. It takes difficulty for some of us to realize where we need to grow. It takes persecution, difficulty, trial, the fact that your family abandoned you, the fact that your job was lost, the fact that you have no money now. It takes trial, difficulty for us to sometimes humble ourselves and seek the face of God fully. This afternoon we'll finish this. But I pray you're ready because this is not a typical testimony. This isn't about me winning. This is about God winning. It's about how he transforms our characters in the process of setting us through trials. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to study your word. The story of John the Baptist, Lord, is a powerful one for those of us who are living in the end times. Lord, John got to a point where he realized it wasn't about him being rescued on this earth. It was about him being rescued into the next life. Father God, help us to realize the importance of that. Father God, in this life, we will have difficulty, trials, and problems. But, oh, Lord, our God, help us to realize that he that endures to the end, the same, shall be saved. Help us, Lord, to stand for you no matter what we go through. And help us to always be willing to, su to suppress and to sacrifice and to even Put away self and pride so that, your Lord, you can do the work of perfecting our characters. This is our prayer in Jesus' precious and holy name. Let the church say amen. 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 If this episode impacted you, please share it with others. Amazing Discoveries is a donor-supported ministry. To help us keep producing content like this, visit amazingdiscoveries.com. Org. And, as always, you can find the visual presentation of this episode on ADTV.watch.